poppin' for the blow. My money is told. Shotty at go. Till she seen it slow. I've been feeling blow. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's the Dealio? I am your host, Jay Ciano, here with my partner, Mike Steinberg, and an amazing guest today. We have Ashley Markowski from Macro Lease. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Amazing, amazing. So, Mike, you, you I just met Ashley. Yeah, she, let, let, let's dive in. Here. Yeah, there's thoughts? so much business to do because she finances businesses and uh, real estate, and she could tell you much more about it. But already, we're doing business deals, just meeting for ten minutes. Yeah. So, Ashley, thanks so much for joining. Um, so almost like speed dating. We kind of got this <laughs> this quick 60-second um, intro. Yeah. If you can just let everyone know what you do, who you are, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I work for a company called Macro Lease, and I have been in the industry for almost a decade. And I work with fitness and wellness businesses. I really, really like to focus on franchises. Um, that's where my passion is. I, I think there's a lot of scale opportunities. And so I help um, franchisees and we also help uh, non-franchises as well, but predominantly in the fitness and the wellness space. Which is why we're very close friends for many, exactly. many years. So a lot of overlap between what Ashley and I do. And as we know, and we were talking about this before we hit record, if businesses cannot access capital, they are not in business, which is why Ashley's a very important person in my world. And she, her, her companies do way more than health and wellness. Yes. Uh, similarly to, you know, Sabre, even though I personally like to specialize in the healthy lifestyle space. But we're talking and, you know, Mike, there's a lot of opportunity, obviously, with the, the businesses that you like to focus on. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, she was going over... You know, even with these interest rates where they're at, if you're investing in a business, I mean, it's either you're going to pay more when the interest rate is lower or you're going to realize that the profit is, the, it's, the interest rate is minimal compared to the profit. Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, opening up a business and having funding available and capital available to you to grow and to open your business is so much more significant than the interest rate environment that we're in right now. Um, and I kind of had said this before, if, you know, if you look at an amortization schedule, um, oh God, I'm put, put everybody to sleep with that one. <laughs> Not going to get into I the finance, yeah. but I get into the weeds with that. But if you look at a monthly payment at an 8% interest rate compared to a 10% interest rate, the difference in the monthly payment is, insig is insignificant compared to the value of opening up a business and, and the ROIs on that. Yeah. It's, it, it's, Super interesting because my companies are heavily involved in the franchise space. We also do corporate, you know, as you know, yeah. um, but we have a lot of, you know, both on the scaling of businesses as well as the sale of businesses where Mike and I are partners, uh, you know, heavy in the franchise space. And I think what's so amazing about what you do personally, like within your company and just kind of your passion uh, is helping people get open businesses, right? I know you're super passionate about, you know, helping folks that maybe can't get their funding elsewhere and SBA. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I look at 
what I do, um, obviously, you know, it, it is a, it's a product, it's, you know, conventional financing, but I look at it as like, I want to help the industry. I, so when, when I get presented sometimes with candidates who are better, you know, suited for SBA, uh, financing, I, you know, will encourage them to go that, that route. I have a lot of connections in the industry and I'm just big on helping the person. And that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily the solution, but I'm going to help them find the solution. And I'm going to put them, you know, in a, in a network and surround them with the spheres of influences that are going to be able to, um, you know, help them get there. And so I think that that's really what becomes valuable because it's not, it's not commodity based. And I, I think in lending, especially with the bigger banks, you know, the, the chases, the TD banks, the larger institutions, it gets very commodity driven sure. and the value in what, you know, what I offer is, you know, obviously my network of connections in the industry, but really understanding the industry. Cause I'm also equally passionate about it. And you mentioned to me before, you don't have a prepayment penalty. So with the prepayment penalties, um, so funny, we're we're really getting into the weeds here. (laughs) Oh my god, this is is great. We're gonna make a deal by the end of this. I hope everybody is is still awake on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, Um, think about it though. If like, if you're really bored by like prepayment penalties and amortization schedule of something. You're probably not really good at business because these are really. Important. Yeah, I mean, we can yes. go over it after, but no, you know, no, this is this is so you know. It's, what do you mean? So like, my my top three questions that I get asked: What's the interest rate? Are there prepayment penalties? You know, how quick can I get funding? Now, in this shift of high interest rates, the number one question has become: How easy and how accessible is funding? So sure. anyway, to to circle back to the the um, prepayment question because that's a great one there are prepayment penalties involved with our loans but i don't like to call them penalties i like to call it yield maintenance because to really explain what it is is that you have the ability to pay off the loan early usually after 12 months is is when we allow that and what'll happen is there's a metric that we have it's a three to one rule and it's three percent um, of a penalty on the principal balance only, and it reduces to 2% and 1% the further out the loan that you want to prepay. So if it's a, let's say a five-year loan in year two, there'll be a 3% penalty on the principal balance only, 2% in year three, 1% in year four, and so on and so forth. And you're still going to save a tremendous amount of money by prepaying the loan, Um, especially if you have a 10% interest rate, if you do the math and you service that loan over the entirety of, of, of the loan, you'll see the interest that you would pay. And what our product allows is the early payoff, but there has to be some initial direct cost, which is called IDC. And every lending institution has it. It's what covers your payroll. It's what keeps your lights on. So you know, it's not that we're charging this penalty on the unamortized interest in principle that is for the the length of the, of the loan. So I'm big on transparency with that and, and educating. And most of the time, when you explain it that way, people understand. I like that. You switch the verbiage. Yeah, it's yield maintenance. Because if I'm borrowing a cost of funds based on today's rates, and you want to pay me off uh, early in two years, and I'm expecting a return over five, seven, ten years, I'm breaking, I'm, I'm breaking ultimately that, um, 
treasury, you know, index that I have at the time that the loan was booked and I'm subject to whatever it is at that time. So there has to be, you know, some, some return and, and cushion and insurance to be able to cover just my immediate costs of running the business. Sure. And you, you know, being in the business, um, can you tell the audience why they want to do, they wouldn't want a prepayment penalty just so you know, they want to refinance. What's the main reason why? Yeah. So, um, in the environment that we're in right now, what I've been able to strategically, um, offer and, and work out with, with our bank is, um, we will refinance when rates come down. Um, usually I would say to make it worthwhile for the borrower and, and for us, um, 150 basis points or more, if the rate comes down that, that amount will refinance, um, the, the loan without any prepayment penalties, without any closing costs. So there are ways to, um, avoid prepayment penalties. Um, if there is a sale that potentially is going to take place. So some of my clients already know I'm going to, you know, tee up this business. I'm going to get it profitable and then I'm going to sell to private equity or to another, um, you know, owner. I'll say to them, introduce me early on to these private equity firms, to these potential buyers, because then they can assume the debt and a transfer and assumption can take place. Therefore, you won't be subject to prepayment penalties. So there are absolutely ways to avoid the um, the yield maintenance and the prepayment penalties, but it's it's really important that, you know, in the beginning, in the early on conversations, I fully understand, you know, the business plan you know, that's going to take place. Yeah. So you and I have a lot of shared uh, clients and Orange Theory Fitness is one of them. Right. And, and you know, you're you're still heading out to the uh, to the annual conferences. And that's actually uh, Dave Long, uh, my, my homie, the CEO of Orange Theory, actually sent an email last night and he was talking about uh, how he's just super busy leading up to the, the conference, which yeah. is two weeks out. Um, my question to you is, how are you able to help a franchisee that has, you know, little experience if they're new to a brand like an Orange Theory, just as an example, right? But they don't own any franchises. They're coming out of corporate or whatever it is, and they want to buy a franchise. Um, how are you able to help them? And, and, you know, maybe what's the difference between SBA and what Macro Lease offers? Yeah, um, that is the true, you know, startup that I that I um, do. I get those those opportunities a lot. And, um, you know, it, it really depends on the situation of the of the borrower. Sure. So I would say that I consider, um, you know, conventional financing typically something that you like you, you graduate from SBA. Yeah. And then, you know, I look at Conventional financing is almost like going for your master's degree, you know, if you choose to take that step, because um, conventional financing usually requires um, either businesses that have established cash flow already, or in this case, if it's a true startup um, borrower that doesn't have that and is a corporate refugee and is now entering franchising, um, usually will expect some more skin in the game. So you know, the, the ideal individual would be somebody that has maybe the capital to self-fund the entire project, but they want to be strategic and they want to scale. So in that case, I would say we'll come in and we'll do, you know, 50% or 60% of the funding 
and we're going to expect, you know, a higher down payment, a higher equity infusion on your end, you know, so maybe 40% upwards, uh, you know, the individuals that are coming in that, you know, are looking to put 10 to 20% down and, you know, they're maybe um, a little unsure of the potential of cash flow for the business might be better suited for, well, I would say definitely better suited for SBA. That's going to be a 10 year amortization. That's going to be less money down. Um, So that's usually where I direct those um, types of individuals. And then I say to them, you know, in two years when your business is established and when you have profitability, come to me because I'll refinance a lot of SBA so loans you finance are, businesses. Yes, very yes. Cool. We do acquisitions, and and you know the SBA tends to have variable interest rates, so that is also another incentive. They the SBA takes um, personal real estate as collateral. You know SBA is is a wonderful product because it helps those individuals just get that that start that they need. Sure. But conventional is, you know, we have, I have a lot more autonomy and ability to like customize the types of loans that we provide. I get really involved and and into the weeds of the structuring of deals. So um, if there is, like I have a a really great client of mine who um, wasn't able to get SBA funding and I rolled up my sleeves and we came up with some solutions to be able to get her what uh, she needed to get. The, the funding conventionally because SBA wasn't an option. And, you know, they have um, ROBS programs where you can roll over your re- your retirement funds. So, you know, essentially, if you're leaving your corporate America job and let's say you worked for Apple, you own tons of retirement in Apple, you can actually sell the Apple stock, open up an S Corp or a C Corp and convert those shares into your own business and access retirement funds without um, getting penalized if you're, you know, under 59 and a half or whatever the restrictions are. So there's so many different, you know, channels and networks. So happy I'm... I met you. Oh, thank you. Oh my. I'm, I'm the money happy. girl. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, wow. it, it's so in that case that you were able to do that where she did not qualify for SBA. Was that her... Oh, boy. Are we still going? <laughs> uh, was it her first franchise business that you were able to get her funding for or was it this in this case she had one um location that had been open already um but she had had uh i guess a different type of it wasn't sba it was some sort of government loan okay but they had liens on like her investment property her regular like so they really had her tied up Um, and so in that case, I was able to um, refinance it conventionally. But in cases where, like I said, there's no other um, businesses that are you know involved or it's a true startup, that's really where um, you know maybe I might say to the individual, put up a CD. Or if you've got you know marketable securities, stocks, bonds that are sitting in an investment account, we can temporarily um, lien those assets for the first two years of the loan. And then what happens is I provide a um, recipe to be able to release that collateral. So like debt service coverage ratio formulas, um, prompt payments. And I explain, I get really into the weeds with my clients. Like this is the, the EBITDA that you have to provide you know, by two years compared to the the debt service. And this is, you know, what I need the business to achieve 
in order to release that collateral. So that's another way of structuring. So if I had a Morgan Stanley account or any stock account, you can leverage against that? Yes. It's, can you it's, do that personally? You can help? You can like help me with that? Yeah, like I would, what I would do is, um, you know, it, w- it would be a control agreement. So there'd be a pledged account. So, you know, if somebody has a million dollars in a Morgan Stanley account, but they only need to collateralize 200,000, you open up with Morgan Stanley a pledged account, put the assets in it. And then what happens is a control agreement gets executed where you'll have the ability to um, trade and, but the account has to maintain the required collateral value. And, and so then what'll happen is you'll be able to continue earning interest and you'll be able to keep your assets with Morgan Stanley. We actually have a wealth management uh, team as yeah, well. So yeah. like we've got, we're a bank, so we yeah. offer, and that's a whole, you know, that's a whole other um, avenue that I'm I'm spearheading this whole division of, like for the longest time, we were just commercial lending to businesses with everything that's going on in the world with banks and and you know i'm at a point now where i'm like wait a second everything's digital now so our bank is brookline bank which is in boston new england area historically you know 10 20 years ago they only would um service their region because that's when humans actually went into like when was the last time you went into right what's that mean who's a bank teller like, I don't remember the last time I physically walked into a bank. Like, yeah. I do it from my phone. Right. So with all of the technology now, I, I want to uh, spearhead, which I'm doing, I'm getting a lot of my clients to open up their business checking accounts with Brookline. Because at the end of the day, we, just like all the banks, need depositors. We need people to come and to support us. And I feel like support the mouth that feeds you. Sure. Chase Morgan and JP Morgan and, and Bank of America and those guys, they're not taking risk and funding these startups and helping the fitness and the wellness industry. They, they don't even, a lot of them don't really even understand what Orange Theory is. We're the or ones, care. or care. care to understand it. We're the ones taking on the risk. So now what I am explaining to my borrowers, and I have to say most of them have been so receptive of it, come and be a full service borrower of ours. And that's going to be a really beneficial thing for a lot of these um, entrepreneurs. So when you have somebody reach out to you, how much of a factor is the actual type of franchise or the specific brand that they're looking to get lending for? Whether it's an Orange Theory versus an F45 versus, you know, any other uh, franchise concept out there. How much is the actual, you know, call it strength and viability of the brand? Yeah. How much does that play a factor? It's that's a great question. I always say the the weaker the franchisor, the stronger the franchisee has to be. Yeah. The stronger the franchisor, then you know, there's a little more flexibility with yeah. the franchisee. Um, but usually fitness and wellness is is for at least for the macrolee side, because we have Eastern funding and, and specialty vehicle that do other industries. That's usually the first thing I look for. Um, but then I've now we, we do tropical smoothie cafe and we do, you know, kids strong and we work with a lot of we're, we're now in the med spa space. So what I would say is um, I like to have um, a conversation with the franchisor and really understand you know, where is this brand going? And, you know, are you 
offering different options to your franchisees with funding. And, and so that's kind of how I start to qualify yeah. um, the strength. I, I would say, you know, it's always ideal to have a franchise that has at least 50 locations. But if it's under 50 locations, then there's also that like organic, you're in such the ground level that I find those types of franchisors, if they really are invested in their network and their franchisees, they're going to go above and beyond to help us feel comfortable. So maybe, you know, there'll be strategic partnerships that get aligned that a larger, you know, franchise that doesn't need us is is probably not going to do. So you like working with more of start like you like working with startups? I, I would say like emerging is is, you know, because if it's too, too new, then I, I can't really help them. So if it's a, you know, a franchise that only has five or six locations, it's going to be tougher for, you know, for me, it's going to be tougher for them. But I would say like the Unless ones those locations are profitable. And right, and right, right. And, exactly. Yeah. Like, so there's a franchise that I'm that I'm working with right now called Cali Coffee. And, um, they, the, the franchisors are, are incredible. It's, um, you know, uh, I think a husband and a wife, I don't know if they're married, but they're, they're definitely, um, you know, um, they, they opened this, um, drive through coffee franchise in, um, predominantly Florida is where they are. I think they're only in Florida actually. And they've built such a, uh, a brand with um, just the aesthetic of like, they have all these different stickers and these different types of drinks and they're really gravitating toward like the college demographic and they're huge on social media. And so they only have, I think, five or six locations open, um, but they've self-funded them. Wow. They know their market. Yeah. They're only focused right now on regional expansion. And so um, where we've been able to partner with them and they're really being selective on um franchisees at first they weren't even i don't think going to franchise yeah. um but they are a little bit now and so in that situation um being able to see the self-funded profitable locations knowing that they know their market we've, we've been able to you know help them yeah i mean that's the most fun part about what we do i think is you know, seeing those concepts early, yes. really becoming, you know, friendly with the founders of these concepts, yes. and, you know, being along for, for the ride as they grow to 100, 500, 1,000, you know, and beyond. Yeah. Those are the most exciting journeys, um, which Orange Theory, you know, was, was one of those examples. I grew sure. up with that, yeah. that franchise. I mean, I, you know, when I met Orange Theory, they had like 40 locations and I, I think I was at Mac release for maybe not even a year. Yeah. And I was straight out of college and I knew that I had just enough industry knowledge to be able to like get in front of somebody who hopefully knows somebody who knew somebody. So I ended up um, finding Orange Theory at a, at a franchise expo at the Javits Center. Um, and, you know, we, you exchange business cards and, and I, that's all great. But this is before social media. This is yeah. before... What Instagram. This? this was 2014. Yeah. And so I was a green banana. I <laughs> really like, I, I knew just enough, like I said, to get my foot barely through the door. And I remember um, they were like, okay, yeah, we'll call you. And, you know, thank you. They were very, very nice, but it's a trade show. It's busy. It's, it's all about the follow-up. And um, I remember uh, looking at a franchise times magazine and they had done an article on one of the area developers for, for Orange Theory, 
And it Who gave was it? Um, Eric Scalarude. Yeah, of course. And Colorado. Colorado, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Good okay. Show. Right. I Good forgot. Show. We know. Right. So yeah. I remember, and then they were like, and he has this other brokerage business for lending and capital. Yeah. So I thought, okay, if I can't get in that way, I'm going to try to get in another way. And I called him. I like Googled his number and I remember being so nervous on the phone and I, my heart was beating out of my chest because I wanted to make a phone call. Sure. Everybody gets email spammed, you know, LinkedIn at the time was starting to really emerge, but I was like, I have to call and make that, you know, that phone call. That's the difference. Yes. And I remember like making like his secretary answered and she's like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I um, I have a meeting scheduled with Eric to talk about orange theory finance. Like I said, whatever I had to say to get him on the phone. He kindly um, ended up introducing me to, I think it might've been Dave Long sure. um, and a couple of the corporate people at that time. And so I, I sent them an email and Dave is so like, just how do I put it? He, he, he's just, he's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, into like the, he's just authentic. Like I, he's just a real person is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so his response was like, absolutely, you know, let's set up a call. And, and I was expecting him to respond and be like, who is this girl? I, you know, we're orange theory. We don't even, you know, know who you are. And so it ended up um, being that I uh, flew down to Florida with my mom, who was a condo in Del Rey. And I kind of just like knocked on the corporate door. This is when they were in Fort Lauderdale. I love this story. Yeah. And I was so nervous again, because now I'm like, oh my God. And I haven't, mind you, I haven't even sold my company on Orange Theory yet. Right. So I'm doing all this selling. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And I haven't even told. You're selling yourself. I'm selling myself. And I I hadn't even told the underwriters, the actual decision makers. And I, mind you, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm 24 years old. I'm, I have no industry experience. So when I finally um, got that lunch meeting with Orange Theory and they were like, okay, we'll give you guys a shot that's where I had to take it home. Right. And I had to convince now my underwriters, we need to do business with this concept. And we at the time were so heavily invested in planet fitness and big box gyms and, you know, the, the $10 a month, that, that high volume, low price point. HVLP. Exactly. And so they at first were like, no one's going to pay $150 a month to go to Orange Theory when they can spend ten dollars and go to planet fitness and i said you're comparing literally pun intended apples and oranges <laughs> you are looking at planet fitness and, and orange theory i don't they're not competitors not at all and they complement so each, well. each other and yeah. so this was you know orange theory was the disruptor of the boutique space yeah. and when i finally um got my first break at doing a deal I remember opening up the FTD, you know, and calling every single area developer because back then they had numbers and they had and, and I and I just did it again. You know, this is Ashley with Mac Release. We're a lending partner of Mac and of Orange Theory. And I just I made those phone calls. And then what has the beautiful part about it is I've grown up with Orange Theory. I now have a lot more industry experience. But a lot of those borrowers, those same franchisees have moved on to other concepts yeah. and have now introduced, you know, me to other concepts. And so it's been this really organic. So I have always in my heart a special place for, for Orange Theory. It, I have to jump in here. Yes, so, <laughs> so sorry, Mike, to cut you off, but this is a, a, a passion. The um, So it, it's amazing because before you jumped into 
the Orange Theory ecosystem when you did at 40 Studios or whatever it was, which is super early, obviously. Yeah. I started with Dave and Jerome when they were multi-unit franchisees for Massage Envy, probably call it, uh, you know, call it like four years probably prior to them starting Orange Theory. I would, it had to be around 2006, seven. Makes sense, yeah. And... And they took everything that they learned from Massage Envy and their network of successful franchisees from Massage Envy, and then they discovered European Wax Center. That's really what happened next. That was the next chapter for them. And they had a franchise development group. I mean, that's, that's basically what Dave and Jerome were doing. And when they discovered European Wax Center, they're like, Jay, you got to fly down, check this out. What do you think? da 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 which is when I introduced, actually, I was on a site tour in, in Florida and I introduced the Long Island partners that you and I both yes, know really well. Yes. On that site tour, I introduced them to Dave and Jerome at a European Wax Center, at, which they were only two at the time. And uh, they told me their plans to partner with the Cobra Brothers and to, to roll out uh, European Wax Center. And then fast forward, you know, probably only about, I'd say, a year and a half later, um, I was in a car with Jerome and his wife, April, and we were touring New York City for Massage Envy because at the time they were still Massage Envy yeah. and European Wax Center. Um, and April was telling us about Ellen's Ultimate Workout. And Gosh. that was like, you know, what the spark that started the idea for Jerome and Dave essentially to partner with Ellen and create a concept and, you know, to be like it, through that part of the journey yeah. was obviously super special. I feel the same way you do. Yeah. And I'm saying all of that to say that it still goes on that way, right? Like all of, of the folks, including Eric Scalarud, who's a yeah. you know longtime friend and was involved in those businesses pre-Orange Theory. Exactly. And he obviously benefited in a major way from uh, being part of that community, as did so many of these other people that continue to go to different brands and stick together. It's really like a yeah. community and an ecosystem that if you're a part of, you're blessed because you're seeing the best concepts early. Exactly. And it's, you know, there's so much, there's just strength in numbers. But I want to also say like to unpack, you said a lot, I want to unpack it. So there are not many Ashley Markowskis that work for any company. And, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting my own business, it's like my biggest goal in life is to find people like you to hopefully come in and add value to what it is that I'm building. Mm -hmm. It's rare to have somebody that comes in and adds value and creates a new niche and, you know, tells somebody, tells the owner of a company you know, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is what's going to be like the future of what we're doing yeah. and gets it and like explains, listen, Planet Fitness, yeah, they're a great company. This is not taking away from them. This is like kind of the direction, you know, that the industry is going. And quite frankly, if you didn't do that for your company and they weren't willing to, you know, also take a bet on you and so on and so forth, you know, they would have not benefited benefited from, you know, all of the innovation and the growth as a result of you coming in and feeling a certain way. And in addition to that, 
you know, I think that that entrepreneurial spirit that you have, that, you know, that purpose driven and, and passion that you have that gets you on a plane with your mom to Florida, having a meeting with people before your company's even aware what you're doing. And I don't even know if they paid for your flight and whatever. Yeah, no, they didn't at the time. Uh, there you go. That's my point, right? Like people don't invest in themselves enough to actually and bet on themselves enough. And that translates into every stage of any business that franchisee that's like, what do you mean I have to personally guarantee this loan? What do you mean that I have to put up my house or whatever it is? Listen, if you're not going to bet on yourself and you don't think you're going to last in business for the two years that you basically have to guarantee on things, and that goes to leases, it goes to you know limited personal guarantees and good guy clauses. If you're not convinced that you're going to be successful and you're not willing to do what it takes to be successful, you don't deserve to be. And I had to say all that shit because you could chop that up into five fucking clips because I'm so sick and tired of people that think they're going to just start a business and go fucking mail it in and not be present and be uber successful and drive a fucking Bentley. I'm done. We could all leave. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, we need need to like, just make that into a whole whole uh, thing for for my you know network to hear because I do get those calls sometimes. What do you mean I have to personally guarantee? Oh, you want me to lend you a couple hundred thousand dollars for a new business that has no established cash flow um, without signing on the dotted line? And and I think what is so ironic about all of it is you know we're a commercial lender. So the actual borrower is your LLC, your corporation. So they're the ones that are on the hook first. You know, we call it the parade of miserables. When there's a default, we're going after first our borrower, the business. Then if there's any corporate guarantee, so if there's existing, you know, locations, we would go after them. Those are secondary. The personal guarantee is a tertiary, um, you know, uh, part of the deal and, if your business files bankruptcy, and now I'm giving hints on how to get out, <laughs> but I only do excellent, um, only excellent credits and and borrowers, and I structure you know the loans. But my point is, you know, by the time we would even try to collect on a personal guarantee, we're probably not going to. We're probably going to end up just taking the loss because by the time you lawyer up and you, it, it ends up costing almost more money and more time than you know, than just um, taking the charge off. So I think that that's also really important. But from a a morality standpoint, you know, sign on the line. This is your business. This is, you know, if you don't believe in your business and yourself, why should we? And and that's... Yeah, well, and and look, the, the name of this podcast is What's the Dealio, right? And it all comes back to the actual deal. I am going to tell anybody on the planet that if you can go get a million dollars and not personally guarantee it, let me know where you're getting it from because I want a million, I want 10 million, I want five million, right? And I'm never gonna suggest to my clients to sign personal guarantees, especially on leases, right? Which is different than trying to get approved to borrow money to go start a business, right? Um, But ultimately, you know, there's everybody sitting here right now is, willing to bet on themselves, right? We have to limit the risk, right? For the most part. And and the the more established you are and the more successful you are, you should be able to negotiate deals where you're not 
putting up much risk or collateral and things exactly. of that nature. But when you're starting out, yeah. you know, like who's going to give you any money without some sort of a guarantee? Yeah. Mike, exactly. talk about that. Dig into to, to that because obviously you're always looking for good deals on the, you know, business sales side and you're able to find things that I wouldn't even know about exist, which is really your specialty uh, in that niche. You know, you're, you're helping folks leverage things in ways where you're able to buy businesses extremely creatively. Talk a little bit about that because I think Ashley would, would learn a lot from that as well. Yeah, a lot of our deals that we do are seller financing deals. Oh, great. So we have the owner put skin in the game mm -hmm. and I make sure that they bet on their business because if they're telling me they're making a million dollars a year and they're not, you know, that's an issue. You know, prove it to me. Finance 50% of the business. I only finance 20 all right, that's better than nothing. So we do a lot of seller financing. Um, that's if, great because yeah. um, from from our standpoint, we like the seller financing because sometimes, um, especially you know, if an M and A or an acquisition is taking place, and, and if it's like a struggling business that maybe doesn't show um, as much profitability and cash flow, but you've got now new management or new owners coming in that are going to take it over. Sometimes it's nice to have that seller financing in place because then we can provide um, maybe less of the funding aspect, you know, and then the debt service we can make work. So that's, I'm glad you The seller that. has to be in, you know, what how I train people that work with me, I train them to make sure the seller's in second position. Right. If it's real estate and property, they're, they're in position on the business. Right. And then the bank is in position on the property. And if they agree to that, that's a great deal for a buyer. But going back to what you said, if you're starting a business and you don't personally guarantee it, why would why would someone or an institution give you money? They gotta see that you believe in yourself. I believe, I'm all in about myself. Anything I do, I'll personally guarantee because I know at the end of the day, I know the result. Yeah, yeah. and there's a connotation, that just to, you know, I wanna clear up for anyone that's listening. Um, I think, when people sometimes hear or, or, you know, personal guarantee comes up, they think that it's going to show up on their personal credit reports. And I, I want to emphasize the fact that these are commercial business loans. So, you know, if there's any apprehension or concern with that, um, I want to clear that myth because it won't show up on your personal credit report as an obligation, like a credit card or a mortgage will, um, you know, the, the worst thing that would happen is maybe an inquiry would show up on, but th those clear after a couple of months. And so, you so know, regardless of how many loans your businesses have, like that won't show up on a credit report. No, no, uh, you see that. How much debt essentially that you're you're in? Yeah, um, yeah, it's commercial lending. It's so, so like the only place that you'd really be able to see the business debt would be maybe like a Dun and Bradstreet report sure. or a PayNet, like a, an actual business a Nexus, a Lexus Nexus. Yeah. But you know, if 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 someone is because I get this brought up a lot, you know, hey Ashley, I, I you know I want to. Um, open up XYZ uh, franchise, but I'm also in the market. I'm buying real estate and yeah. I don't want this to affect and it won't. It really won't. Yeah. And when we're going after these businesses, you know, I always ask, do you have any debt? You know, if they say, oh, I have debt with this company. I have debt with this seller. That's a perfect time to assume that debt mm -hmm. and have less of an outlay down. And there's just so much to talk to you about, you know, it's, I know. It's, it's just, I, know. I, I, have, I have a question for both of you and I'll start with Ashley. So 
based on the current climate and just what you're seeing in the industry and, and the amount of deals that you guys are lending and, and things of that nature, you know, give us, give, give the audience kind of a, you know, just general update on the climate, you know, and where we are versus maybe where we were two years ago and where you see us going. Yeah, I would say the, the climate right now is similar to, you know, outside. <laughs> it's uh, it's rainy and, and it's torrential. Yeah, it, it's, it's volatile. Unfortunately, um, you know, rates are at an all time high. And this is the first time in, in my career I'm seeing this, too, because, um, you know, when I started in 2014, rates were historically low and they continue to be low. So we are we're in a we're in a high interest rate, um, high cost inflation. I mean, you know, have you gone to the grocery store and seen how much <laughs> eggs are? Crazy. So I do feel, um, you know, like it, it's, it's, but it's cyclical. It's yeah. an economy. And, you know, I know that rates are eventually going to come down. I don't know exactly when, um, what I would say, given the fact that we are in this, um, climate right now, that is not ideal. This is the time to really like kind of slow down on growth a little bit stabilize what you have. Um, if you have very, very successful, profitable um, locations, then by all means, continue expanding. But I think one of the things that people need to focus on and be mindful of is their projections and making sure. So, you know, if you have projections that were, you know, covering a 6% interest rate and you haven't updated those projections to what reality is now, which prime is at eight and a half percent, you're going to be surprised to see that, you know, although I said before, the monthly payment isn't that significant, costs have also gone up. So if your build out, you know, expenses are, you know, based on 2019, 2020, even 2021, you need to update those because costs have gone up as well. And so really just being careful of, um, you know, making sure that you've got up to date figures on your costs. And, and I would say, conservation of capital is crucial right now. So really kind of hanging on to investments capital um, and just keeping that on the side for a rainy day in the event that, you know, you need to weather um, maybe a storm for a little bit, um, you know, potential talk of a recession. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's always better to be, you know, safe than sorry. And so, um, you know, if we were having this conversation five years ago, it would be entirely different. It was grow, 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 grow. And I, I think a lot of the more sophisticated franchises and borrowers are right now focusing on like slowing down on expansion, focusing on what they have. And what's nice is that that's really allowing people to innovate and to really look at their brands and say, wow, you know, maybe we could do this better. And instead of just focusing on growth, 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 like maybe we can actually, um, collaborate and come up with new ways to better our business as well. I mean, that, that was, yeah, that I was mean, great. Just real quickly before Mike, before you answer, um, would you say that you're getting less requests as well? Like when you say that it's like gloomy and, and yeah. you know, people should be a little bit more cautious. Like, are you seeing the activity slow down as far as, you know, just underwriting deals and things of that nature? A little bit. I, I, you know, what I'm seeing are projects just slowing down a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, some of the phone calls that I had last year with 
people saying, oh, we have plans to open up 10 locations yeah. next year. Maybe now it's five. Sure. But I don't I don't feel it's funny because like it might be rainy out, but it feels like the sun is still shining because I, I know that, you know, there's there should still be that optimistic look on the future because rates will come down. So if anything, what I'm seeing is and, and at the same time, certain banks are now pulling back. Sure where we're like, we're doubling down. Like right. we, this is where we really show that we believe in this industry. Like yeah. we survived a pandemic. 90% of our portfolio was on modification. Like we, I think we had one loss and we lend predominantly to fitness centers who got pummeled during the pandemic. So, um, you know, we are still lending, we're going to continue to lend. And so now, if anything, I think that we can cherry pick maybe the borrowers that we weren't able to um, maybe do business with in the more competitive climates with the lower rates. Now we're able to really double down on those opportunities. So awesome. Great. Great Mike, what, what are you seeing in, in your space? And you know, is, is there an, uh, a decrease an increase? Is it kind of steady? Uh, and where's the opportunity as far as you're concerned? Um, there's a ton of opportunity because our space really, you know, I think I'm one of the first to innovate the business brokerage space. Um, there's 6 million businesses for sale. There's only 5,000 business brokers. So there's always business. It's just, how do you professionally facilitate a deal where a lot of these deals are confidential and you can't just put it on the market. So how do you facilitate a buyer buying a business as a confidential matter and uh, just putting everything together? Now, having an arsenal of, like yourself on board, um, there's a, it's a win-win situation because we can I can basically build a, a list of businesses that I'm selling. I can see if they have any debt. I can throw them your way. And you can look at them and say, okay, this one, this cash flow looks good. I can lend to this if the borrower has this experience mm -hmm. and uh it's just collabing right here we can we could do business and on the business brokerage side a lot of a lot of business right now yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure i feel you know it's, it's interesting because i think in the health and wellness space and, and we were talking about this before we hit, we hit record we're always you know picking each other's brains i think that you know in my opinion the pandemic accelerated the tired brands that were already kind of like at the tail end like approaching their expiration dates and i think the world changed so much you know over this you know the whatever it was three years you know that that we were really in the heart of the of covid and i feel like there's so much opportunity specifically in health and wellness because there's just not that many exciting brands and you and I are speaking on a panel mm -hmm. next week at the same event. And, you know, I, that's what's interesting to me because it's just the same usual suspects, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm just being, I, you guys know me, I'm, I'm transparent. And I just see such a, you know, such a, like, there's nobody close to Orange Theory, you know, still, yeah. you know, this many years later, oh, like they're I'm so waiting, far I'm waiting. ahead, I'm like, right? Come on. Exactly. <laughs> it's like and, having a baby. And, like, and let's and go. I, I'm ready I again. And you and I both literally travel the country looking for like the next Orange Theory yeah. or like the next 
exciting, innovative thing. Yeah. And there have been concepts, and we were talking about this, um, you know, there have been concepts that have gotten into the wellness space and have a whole bunch of different services under one roof. And I think that's great. And it's like almost like the gate, I always call everything the gateway, you know, to something else. And I think, you know, COVID also made us all realize that we're all, you know, we, we all are going to die one day. Right. And we're trying to like be as healthy as we could possibly be. And we're focusing on longevity and quality of life. And, you know, all of that stuff is so front and center. And with the amount of like, you know, ideas and, and and concepts i think that like are launching i'm still not so excited about many of them and i think that's a little strange which to me regardless of who's president what the weather's like what right. you know like all of those factors that you know people who are not like waking up every morning regardless of those things and just looking to crush the fucking day. Like none of that shit matters in my day, right? And I feel like that there's just so much opportunity in every space, not just, and you know, like we're all just positive, hardworking people that regardless of what the weather's like outside, we're just gonna crush the day and we're gonna be front first in line for all of the new exciting things. And, you know, and, and I think there's more opportunity than ever. Yeah, yeah, there's so much white space right now. Um, and, and I agree. I think the pandemic kind of, you know, it, it's funny because people will still look in this rearview mirror of like pre-COVID numbers. And, and I'm, I'm like, do you guys not realize that like everything is different now? Like we saw that with Peloton. We saw that with all of the home workouts, virtual workouts. Like this is a completely different space that we're in now. And, and you know, how do we grow and 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 um innovate in this new environment that we're in and so wellness um and and uh, social media has blown up like the cold plunges like i see you every day oh my god i i i commend you for you know getting into those like the ice baths and and all of that um and so that's really what's what's i don't even want to say trending because that makes it sound temporary but that's what is happening and there's all these different services and i i agree with you there are a couple of brands that i'm getting like that kind of tickle on my stomach like i did with orange theory and i'm excited for that none but it's just i think there's fewer yeah you know fewer than there should be because you would think that all of these smart people would have been like creating exciting shit during covid you know and but i think people were so focused on keeping the ship afloat, you know, yep. that you weren't able to really, you yeah. know, be that innovative there, are, but there are, you know, there were definitely some exciting brands for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and, um, I mean, they, they continue to, to pop up and, and like uh, a big thing that I've been seeing is like hormone replacement therapy. Sure. And now, you know, peptides. with, yeah, the suma peptides and, and so you've got, you've, it's interesting. You've got, it's like, you've got these different categories. You've got fitness, you've got wellness, then you have, the medical aesthetics, the yeah. Botox, the fillers, then you have the recovery. Like yeah. how, how does everybody play together and, and um, get along? Is it oversaturated? And, and I think only time will tell. Yeah, I think the next frontier, it's already here, is more like the, the, the medical side of, you know, like wellness and beyond, right? Like, like getting your labs done and truly, yeah. you know, bespoke, customized, like solutions for you based on your body and, you know, all of the things. And that's already here too. Um, 
So I think, you know, there's a lot of, we're just scratching the surface, you know, wearable technologies and, you know, all of that stuff, which has been around, but it's, you know, starting to um, go to a different level. And, but I do also think that, you know, people are starting to work out differently. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, you mentioned Peloton. I don't know how, by the way, like, how is it possible that somebody could miss so badly and think that you know covid numbers are going to continue forever like it's bizarre that people that smart in that position can actually think that their business is going to grow at the same rate when everybody's locked in their house worried that they're going to die like how could you miss that so badly it's scary crazy It's, it's they the social aspect and being you know around people we need that humanity needs to be social we need to and so um that's really where the industry had has been going i mean it's it's i i would be very surprised if somebody didn't have a gym membership to some degree in this day and age and and it's it's becoming more than just I'm going to go work out. It's it's I want to see like last night I was at Adventureland with my kids for a fundraiser and I saw a girl there who I do Orange Theory with. I've never spoken to her, but we take the same classes. And I was like, oh my god, you're and she knew me right away. And so and now we have this connection. Our kids go to school together, and so like she's somebody that I might call up and say, hey, like let's like hold me accountable. Let's hold each other. So it's it's the social aspect. Yeah, you're not getting that if you're on a Peloton in, in, you know, your, your living room. And that's great to have it, but it's going to be supplemented. It, it was never exclusively going to be that. Yeah. I think it's the, the hybridization, like that makes sense. And I think people are going to like their weekly routine is going to change. And like, I happen to jump on my Peloton bike cause I'm injured and it was just an easy workout. I was pressed for time and it worked for me, but um, I haven't been on the Peloton bike since like the heart of COVID when I had it delivered to my house before I was worried that they were going to run out of them. I just sold mine. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Mine's a coat rack. Mine, right? Yeah. So. Mine hangs my laundry <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's, it's like almost like a parallel universe, um, not to jump around, but I think of it as almost like the hybrid workspace now, totally. like people going back into the office, people who are exclusively remote. Like I'm one of those people where I want to go into the office. Me too. I do like hybrid because I do like the ability to one or two days a week work from home. But Me too. I like getting up. I like getting dressed. I like having a purpose. I make Starbucks part of my routine. And and that is how I show up. And it reminds me of it's very similar to that, you know, mentality of of the fitness space. We're all, I I mean, again, the three of us sitting here are wired the same way. It's not a surprise that we're, the conversation's flowing and we can go on for hours and hours. And uh, I think we need to, unfortunately, like wrap this up with a bow, but I think we need to have you back, Ashley. I think we're going to, we're going to have you, right? I think we're going to have you just like jump in on a monthly basis, maybe, and and keep these conversations going because I feel like you're going to make Mike and I more money, which is really the whole (laughs) podcast. We're all going to make money. All right. Well, (laughs) yeah. I mean, in turn, obviously, making you more money. Right. So, um, So, in closing, Closing thoughts. Where can people find you, Ashley? Like, you know, give us. So you can find me on Instagram. I have, um, it's bring me the bank. Love that. Is what it is. And, um, you know, really just Ashley Markowski, Google it and I'll, I'll come up and, you know, 
be able to find me there as well. Mike, any final thoughts? Thank you. So so nice meeting you. We're gonna do a lot of business. You're very intelligent. So <laughs> I'm smarter, and, and smarter than I look. And that's, driven that's... <laughs> and resilient. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of What's the Deal, yo? Because we're about to go make some deals. That's it, man. <laughs>